and welcome back to Girls Gone Canon, or should I say Girl Gone Canon, while Eliana is out. I am one of your hosts, Chloe, here today with Unleashing the D. Well, the D is very unleashed right now, but Unleashing the D, Episode 5, the Hot D official trailer breakdown featuring my coworker and associate, Poor Quentin, from the Not A Cast podcast. Oh, am I not Eliana? I was pretty sure that I am. No, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm Eliana. I'm pretty sure you got a banner in the mail that said you were now a girl gone canon. And I'm very proud. Very proud. (laughs) I'm excited to have Emmett here today. Some of you may know him uh, from the ASWAV podcast, where I call him the man I live with. Others of you may know him from the wonderful podcast, Not A Cast, A-S-O-I-A-F podcast, uh, the one true chapter by chapter podcast, and of course, his great writings over at Tumblr or on his WordPress, poorquinton.com. It's been a long time since we actually got to work on something together. It's been a few years, but what better occasion for it than House of the Dragon? I'm starting to get the horrible sinking feeling in my stomach that this show might actually be good. Oh my god, I know. It's terrifying. It's like falling in love for the first time, which is, you know, last time we recorded an episode, it was so bad that I had to marry you. That's how you know, (laughs) folks. What are we going to make fun of if the show turns out to be good? That's just the worst case scenario ever. The trailer really today, so the trailer just came out. If you're living under a rock, if you aren't wildly checking your Twitter notifications like everyone else, uh, the trailer came out today. The real deal, not just a teaser. And it looks, I mean, it looks pretty solid. The effects look good, especially because we know they're not finalized really yet. You know, you're close, but you're not final final. You're like running, you're running the clock right now. It's getting over the bar I always had for this show, which is that it, it has to not look cheap. As long as it doesn't look cheap, I'm going to be on board. Which, it really, yeah, even even in this non-finalized form, it looks legitimate. You know, I've seen a lot of people kind of comparing it to the other things happening, like the Rings of Power, right, coming out. People comparing it kind of to some of the stuff coming out from there, which is apples to oranges, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I like both apples and oranges. I just eat them differently, not together usually. But... I'm I'm seeing also a lot of people talking about what was it Rome? Yes, is that the people are comparing it to Rome or comparing like some of the the scope right of of the battles and the war and the history and the lore to like watching and the Rome. sex the sex which there's going to be less of question mark I'm hearing fewer sex which fine but when I think of the Targaryens you know not exactly chaste that family. Yeah, well, to be fair, in that first teaser, we what we got the, the blood dripping down the face of Valyrian wedding uh, in that one teaser shot of Damon and Rhaenyra. So I'm sure it'll be I'm there. It'll be dark and sexy when we get it. Hopefully, and it's HBO. Hopefully. What else is the point? <laughs> it's not TV. It's HBO. Exactly. It's HBO. Well, we did get that beautiful trailer today. What were your highlights? What were what were your fave bits? I think uh, seeing Matt Smith just put on that armor and reminisce about all the designer drugs he's taken that has led him to this point, definitely a highlight for me. I think anytime Eve Best speaks is always wonderful. I I love her and Nurse Jackie, and getting to watch her be a character actor again is a thrill. And I I love the look of the sets. I love the the fact that people are now on Dragonstone. Can Mm -hmm. you even imagine that? Both with Stannis and Daenerys on Game of Thrones, Dragonstone was always a place where it was just a room for one person to be sad in. So have, <laughs> having a bunch of people there. And um, I'm just, I'm very curious how they're going to manage the group dynamics among so many characters. Because it's, it's, there's, there's just dozens of important people here. 
but so far so good. Yeah, I think there are a couple of big pros from the trailer, especially that kind of reiterated how they have to keep all these characters somehow together. Um, we'll go into it kind of shot by shot, a shot for a shot, an eye for an eye today at some point. Don't but... tell Eamon that. <laughs> uh, he'll learn. He'll learn the hard way. Spoiler, he does not learn. He does not learn. God. And I mean, they didn't hold back. You know, you can see he's got that eye patch on and good in the trailer. You see there's a before and an after, which for people that might not already know, they're like, why does he have an eye patch now? This young lad, this strapping, sweet, kind, good Never would hurt a fly. And so Chloe stands, Amond. We always knew we were getting here eventually, uh, folks. No, I don't know. I. Yeah, what'd you like? Okay, I love, you know I love the costuming. You've heard this of me. Loving the costuming. Uh, Allison's costumes and Rhaenyra's costumes are extravagant. Uh, with all the interviews that have been coming out this week and last week, like the Hollywood Reporter interview or the EW exclusive uh, you, we've kind of gotten to see some of the insight that these actors really have on the characters too and what they're taking from it. And they really seem to love the story. So seeing some of the dialogue coming to life and seeing, cause I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue, right? For us to use with them since originally you have princess and the queen rogue prince and fire and blood, which isn't told really that first person or that point of view, I should say, isn't shown from the point of view character. Uh, so dialogue is kind of like, whatever Mushroom said, right? <laughs> or whatever Septon, you know, says, or whatever Gildane says happened. You imagine it in voiceover more than dialogue when you're reading these stories as they've been told yeah. to us so far. A chronicle, a history. Exactly. And hearing them actually, like, say things to one another and the chemistry <laughs> between the actors and knowing what they think of their characters, uh, it's kind of cool, right? Like, I think we actually have more from them already all of these actors on their characters in just these couple interviews than we got, you know, in one season for Game of Thrones, I feel like. Agreed. I'm very curious. They, they seem to be taking things in a more queer direction. Matt Smith has talked about unearthing a more kind of sensitive, even androgynous side <laughs> to Damon. That's not necessarily present in the text at all, but I think that's very interesting. And uh, same with Rhaenyra. I'm, I'm very curious how they handle that. And I'm... I'm especially curious about the dynamic between Rhaenyra and Alicent, and I think that could end up being a more kind of mournful, sorrowful, what-could-have-been dynamic than we necessarily get from the text. Yeah, they look sad as fuck and mad and angsty. They're like, there's definitely some underlying tension, right? HBO was really going to get the girls this time with the sexy, sexy girlfriends turned to enemies thing going on here because they aged Alicent and Rhaenyra to be even aged, which is kind of different. Than the story, which is fine. I don't really give a shit. I don't care Agreed. about the ages. Of the I think characters. it makes sense, though, in terms of having them see each other as opponents. I think that kind of works. What do you think about the fact that they're going to be aging people up throughout the first season? That we're going to be seeing these these time jumps. That strikes me as something that could work very well or not well at all. I think. Uh, I mean, the trailer itself did a great job of showing that in some aspects. In some others, like the Amond aspect, no. I think that one I almost didn't catch. You and I were talking offline before this, and I was like, but why is Rhaenyra by Vagar? And I'm like, oh shit, that's Amond. That is not Rhaenyra. That is Amond as a kid. And then there's Amond with the eye patch. So, like, I almost missed mm. the Amond reveal, which was heavily focused in this trailer. Uh, but Rhaenyra, young Rhaenyra and older Rhaenyra, Millie Alcock is young Rhaenyra and Emma D'Arcy, they look perfect. Like, they look, that looks really good. Alicent looks pretty good. Uh, you know, no actor is going to look exact, but they did a great job on them. 
I, I find it really interesting. It's kind of a brave thing to do, too, to kind of take this on. But fleshing it out, showing the, the stepstones instead of just saying, oh, yeah, Damon was there. Uh, showing that and showing Corley's getting to, like, kind of expand his character with Damon. And it seems Laner's going to be there so with Laner as well. Uh, that's a smart adaptation. Agreed. Giving Laner something to do would be actually mm. valuable because you want to have his uh, his loss in the story carry some weight. Yeah. And also agreed about giving some time to the Stepstones because in the text as it exists, that's very much, you know, get Damon off page for a little while, give him a place to work out his, his emotions. And that tends to be something that happens frequently with that archetype for George. You see that with Oberyn, you see that with Euron, these very ambitious second sons. They don't have the opportunity to rule. Some cases they don't even necessarily want to rule, as with Oberyn. Mm-hmm. And so they go into self-imposed exile, and they they explore, and they take in different influences from all over the world, and then they kind of bring those crashing back into Westeros. So that's going to be interesting to see a version of that with Damon. Yeah, hell, Jamie Lannister in the Riverlands, right? Like, you wouldn't have given a shit about Jamie Lannister without his POV throughout the book when you finally get that pov you might still think he's kind of a cocky awesome whatever but like when you get his pov that's when his character really develops and so damon seeing the stepstones for him and getting kind of that picture of what it was like growing up as viserys's brother and even getting you know what i know will come with the nettles stuff i think seeing that and seeing the actual the pov play out you know seeing what a character is thinking by how they set up the scene and actually showing the emotion is going to be really interesting and much more, I don't know, maybe a little more enriching and fulfilling than just, here's the history, and then this happened, and Jeep Stealer and Nettles flew off into the night. And I think that has its place, especially within the context of mm-hmm. thinking about how people in Robert's era would be looking back on these people and how they influenced the, the main branch of the story. And uh, the difficulty of finding any truth to the situation. And I think that that kind of uh, twisty, uh, self-aware, fourth-wall-breaking approach is very interesting on George's part because it is such a contrast to the POV structure of the main series where everyone's the hero of their own story and you're kind of trapped within their head and the information they provide. And as you say, it's very different getting inside Jamie's thoughts. So now getting that kind of approach to these characters, I think it could potentially pay dividends. Yeah. I wasn't excited about what the Kristen Cole stuff and the Alicent Rainier stuff. I didn't really care. And now, even from just this trailer, I'm like, oh, okay, this could be really interesting how they're going to finally show us and play it. So maybe sometimes answers are sexy. We just don't know. So let's take a look. What do we got here in this trailer of ours, Chloe? Yeah, let's dig into the House of the Dragon trailer that dropped today ahead of San Diego Comic-Con. They got us. I didn't think it was dropping. So we open up and we immediately have two beautiful noodly dragons, one with a very long neck, which tells me it's probably Caraxes. And then we get a shot, not um, not dissimilar from like season eight at Winterfell with the dragons going upwards, right? Climbing upwards into the sky and the men all kind of bowing beneath them. Great shots to open with. Majestic shots. I love their long worm necks. You know, dragons have the association with worms historically, W-Y-R-M-S. And I like even dragons in stories that don't necessarily fly, but tunnel beneath the earth and that, that long, stretchy, snake-like atmosphere to them. And that's something I always enjoy about the the creature design. And it's it's just wild to be dropped into a world where people are used to dragons, and yet still there is something frightening and otherworldly about them. You know, you never you never quite get accustomed to them unless you're one of the people who ride them. And that, that tension, you know, this is, this is the last time the Targaryens are going to be 
normal or going to be unchallenged and you're just going to be fine with a set of dragons around. After this, they always, there's always a bit of tension because everyone will remember when they destroyed the continent. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, why do you think all the dragons are gone? It couldn't have been the Dance of the Dragons where dragon fought, dragon fought, dragon fought, dragon. No, it's Aegon III's fault. Well, cut to Marwyn the Mage's YouTube channel with his like 64-part conspiracy <laughs> of the dragons. I would love Marwyn the Mage's social media. I would follow every account, but he would probably only have a YouTube account and maybe a Twitter and maybe like a truth account or whatever that bullshit is. He would get a blue check and like lose it within three weeks and then have a, <laughs> a series of videos ranting about how he lost his blue check. He would end up on truth social or whatever Trump's thing is. Yeah, exactly. The truth. That's what I thought it was. Okay, good. Yeah, exactly. On accident, really. Oh, poor Marwin, you sucker. That's uh, the dragons themselves, right? So even, you know, throwing back to the ring lord, right? Lord of the ring. Uh, the I know him. That lord has. Though those dragons are very different, but still have some similar fantasy elements that George is playing with. And uh, these dragons, you know, there was this great part of the Hollywood Reporter interview that came out today saying that all these dragons are different. There's going to be a bearded dragon, maybe Vermithor is my thought, I hope. Uh, but there's even going to be like a bearded dragon. Uh, there's going to be so many different types, so it gives such a great opportunity to break that barrier of fantasy dragons on screen and what we know like there's actually an opportunity here to really expand dragons for the general public and uh yeah i love the concept of the bearded dragon have there maybe someone could tug on their beard a little bit give dragon <laughs> groomers you know just like shaving and getting all the lice out and get a shampoo in it's, just, it's, <laughs> a, whole it's a whole thing it's capitalism exactly really, I mean. well that's one of the things that ryan condell the showrunner said in the one of the recent hollywood reporter articles i thought was very interesting which is that in this era, there's a whole infrastructure that goes with dragons. And I very much like how dragons are handled in A Song of Ice and Fire where they're extinct and then they come back with Danny, and it's a miracle and she doesn't know how to handle it and people aren't sure if they believe it necessarily. That's wonderfully done. But it's also very interesting from a world-building aspect to think about what goes along with dragons. What are the what are the structures and institutions that gather around these creatures? Who takes care of them? Who makes things for them? And what, what is it like when they are just part of the status quo and you just have to walk around with them? There's a, there's a bit I remember in Watchmen when one of the characters is talking about meeting Dr. Manhattan and he says, at first your brain just like screams and wants to shut down and can't accept that he's right there. And then eventually he's still just there talking to you and you just have to kind of accept it. And that's the kind of this era for dragons. That's so awesome. Like it is just magic. It's so exciting to see so much of it on a screen near us and there's even, like you said, there's a whole economy kind of built around it, mm -hmm. right? Like, this is a prosperous time in King's Landing. When the dragons were there, as fierce and scary as they were, it also was a time of great prosperity for the people. Uh, you have people making dragon saddles, because guess what, folks? There are saddles in this trailer. You can see saddles on the dragons and people sitting in the saddles that are on the dragons. There is harnesses up in the dragon's pit. In King's Landing, there are, like, harnesses that they have with the Targaryen sigil on them. You'll see it in Caraxes in this trailer if you have not watched it yet. Uh, a, a whole infrastructure built around dragons. How you navigate with dragons, right? Like, Jaehaerys probably thought when there were roads being built and places being built, he had to think, you know, it's my city skylines coming out and playing a lot of city <laughs> skylines <laughs> lately, everyone. But Jaehaerys couldn't just play city skylines. He had to add dragons to that. He had to be like, all right, so these towers, you know, you can't build your land like this, my lords and sirs. You got to build it like this for these roads to happen from now on. 
because that was the world they lived in. And that's where the nuclear weapon comparison that George himself and other people have mm. made before comes to the fore, because the contradiction of nuclear weapons during the Mutual Assured Destruction era was this idea that they could enforce peace, but if you ever use them, that peace is immediately destroyed. So that it's this odd mix of power and passivity, where dragons are this, this symbol of power until you use them. And then when you use them, people are still afraid of them, but you've kind of you've kind of played your hand. And that's kind of what happens with the dance, mm -hmm. is people see dragons in action, they see dragons turning on each other, and even as so much destruction is wrought, some, something of the mysticism is lost because you recognize them as just instruments of war and not religious divine symbols. And that's going to, of course, climaxes with the dragon pit when people kind of realize en masse, hey, we can kill them. I mean, they're going to kill a lot of us first. That's going to be like really violent. Oh, God. And it's terrible. And it's it's as, as frightening as dragons are and otherworldly as they are, they are just animals. And we say that with Danny when she treats them like her pets. And they don't know. Like, do dragons even know that they're in charge of things? Or they just like wake up one day like, I hope I get fed. I wonder if my master will come talk to me. They don't know about the seven kingdoms and the Iron Throne. They're just animals. And that, that contrast is something so powerful. They just want a boop snoot and a couple sheep, dude. Right, exactly. Give but them the sheep. They can also destroy cities, and that 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 the, the the age of wonder and terror, to borrow from a song of ice and fire, dragons symbolize that so well. Drogon, so stressed out, approaching a town. Please, I just want a sheep, and if you don't have any, I'll take a child. <laughs> One so or two out. or twelve or all of them. Oh, Thirty-seven right. will do. It's like it's like Jurassic Park, like how the yeah. the, the dinosaurs aren't like going mwahaha let's go get people mm -hmm. they're just animals living out their nature living out the the way they eat and it's how we handle them that makes them dangerous and that's the same thing here with the targaryens and their dragons and you know we have that very famous line by a very famous man in a song of ice and fire that you know every time a targaryen's born the gods flip a coin and there's something interesting about that quote that i don't think that it's more about the 50-50 aspect, right? Like, I don't think it's about the 50-50 aspect. It's about that the coin is flipping in the air and coming down and coming down until the choice is made, right? And it seems that the choice of using your dragon as a weapon of war, of mass destruction against the people, it is a problem. I've just been told this sometimes by some people. Other people think it's fine, but some people have told me this is a bad thing, that, like, using a weapon like that against a lot of people is probably not great. Probably not great for a rule, a reign of, you know, generations of people to, to live off that, that fear, that falling. Well, well it's, I mean, it's, I think they're, like I said, they're valuable unless you use them. Mm -hmm. They're really useful for instilling fear, and you can use that fear to create a large polity and get people to do what you want. It's a, you know, a carrot and stick mm -hmm. situation. And there's, you can do some real politic with that. We see that with the more successful Targaryen politicians. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, when, once, you, once you unleash them, you, uh, you inherently create resistance to you. And that's, that's, a, that's a very difficult balance. And, you know, the, the Westerosi nobles would all use them if they could. Mm -hmm. There's that line I love in A Song of Ice and Fire when Stannis is considering sacrificing his nephew to create a dragon. And he's, he's looking at the map of Westeros and he says to himself, dragon wings over Westeros, there would be such a, and that's when Davos interrupts him. And that's perfect because you don't know exactly what he's going to say, but you kind of do. And he's saying like there would be such an overwhelming notion of, of fear, but also awe. 
and that you know I could get everyone behind me, and that it's the, the Targaryens can't kind of can't help that, and there's like almost like a moth to a flame aspect to this, and it doesn't just apply to them; it also applies to a character like Cersei mm-hmm. or a character like Stannis or Euron Greyjoy. It's just like the Targaryens kind of set the standard, and now we're we're seeing them do that. Something I really thought I didn't really realize this. The very first line of this trailer, someone saying war is afoot, and we're staring at this at the face of Matt Smith, this demon Targaryen. Uh, we're staring at him in his gold cloak down in the city, hanging with the boys. You know how he does. But Laner Valerian is actually the person saying war is afoot, according to the captioning from HBO officially on YouTube. So that's an interesting kind of shot, right? That you have Damon, his face with the gold cloak boyos behind him, and then you have Laner, who maybe I'm reading too much into it, but was Damon involved with the death of Laner Valerian? I just don't know. What possible motivation could he have, Chloe? I don't know what you mean. He has a hot niece to fuck. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've read this story. Very but... relatable. Oh gosh. We get a shot uh, of a cave. It, 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 there's there's dragon ahead shrieking and throwing fire. I'm guessing it is the backwards version of Matt Smith looking at the dragon in the cave from the first two teasers as Damon. Maybe? And it does cut straight to him fighting then in the streets with his helm. His little dragony looking helm. His very medieval helm. What is What is up with that helm? I love it. Yeah, that's a nice touch. I love the quick editing between him and the dragons because part of what is going on with a character like Damon is at some level he wants to be a dragon. Like this is his self-conception. This is how he wants to be treated. And that, that desire to become something both more and less than human is something that drives a lot of these characters. And even as they, they climb that fiery ladder, they tend to fall from it. We see that something with like a, a we see that also with a character like Bran too, who becomes something more than human but also less. And there's this idea that if you if you become like a god, again, a character like Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, you have access to power and insight, but also basic human things start to become just like mysteries to you and something you don't understand. And that's the power of something like with Damon and Nettles, where like you get sense Damon is going, oh, right, human bonds and connections. That's the thing I left behind. That's what I don't have anymore as I turned myself into a dragon. And maybe that's what I'm missing in my life. Yeah, especially when it's thrown against the backdrop as Rhaenyra is, you know rightfully in many ways losing her mind right like as everything in her life is just crumbling to shit because she's like what do you mean none of you are actually really supporting me like you said so like this many years ago and then everyone's turning against me and ha 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 now i'm killing everyone now i'm killing everyone um but like that (laughs) that is kind of the story what's the what's that fucking meme from that show Oh, uh, the good place, right? Jason. Even Jason got it. Damon. Even Damon understood. Even Damon figured it out. <laughs> That's how it feels that he like suddenly is like, oh shit, dude, you know, I love violence, murder, incest, sex, you know, all this great shit I've been doing this whole book. I love it. But also, damn, am I going to have a soul after all this? This war gets that bad. That's, so That's the fiery ladder. You disappear at the top, just like <sighs> what happened in Karth. 
I mean, again, Jamie Lannister, right? Mm-hmm. Just when he's at the bottom of the bottom, there, there's something very much like you were saying that Damon just wants to be power embodied in in that scaly, thick skin. Like the dragons can fly away. You talked about them being like worms, like wyverns, like being able to just tunnel under the ground, but also being able to emerge like a fucking fiery, scaled dinosaur phoenix and go to the sky and escape. Right? How many great scenes did we get in Game of Thrones of Daenerys on her dragons escaping when things were a little stressful? Uh, just the the idea that you and your BFF can okay, like four, Emmett, like four. Don't count them. <laughs> well, it was like Desnak's pit. What else? Oh, uh, the a thousand years in the cave, fucking egret callback. The uh, when her and John go to the caves, or you know, her That's and her true. dragon. That's true. Very romantic. Okay, so two, so two. We'll count but. Them. How many times, you know, you get these moments of of that intimacy like you talked about with her and her dragons, that they are more than just, you know, they they are animals, but also to her, they're they're her own people. And that transcending the body business, you know, you have Bran transcending his own body and you have Jamie kind of transcending his own body in many ways, first with throwing himself into fighting. Right, that while he can't really deal with his emotions for his sister, about his father, the, the battle about his fever. Life. That's true, that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the battle fever. I mean, even before he loses his hand, he is trying to escape himself, right? And I see a lot of that in Damon of that escaping himself and escaping kind of his station in place. And Rhaenyra, too, has that, right? Where we're seeing a lot of that in the interviews pop up of her, like, she doesn't want to be tied down, she wants everything that the kings have access to, the boys club they have access to, but she doesn't quite have the right shaped key to fit in. Mm-hmm. Good point. Yeah. Lots of dragon porn in this trailer. Lots of dragon porn. Not not actual dragon porn. Don't watch it Alas. just for... It's not furry. It's like scaly. What is that? Is that is there a thing for that? If not, there should be. Amphibisex? I don't know. I don't know. I love that we haven't gotten the shot revealed fully until now, but we have Rhaenyra entering the throne room and it is Daemon. On the throne, you can just see it in the trailer. Very Jamie on the throne when Ned shows up, in a way, right? Sure. You get a little of that. Or Danny looking at the empty throne at the end of season eight. <sighs> yeah. Imagining herself there. <laughs> Rhaenyra stares at Damon. I don't see anything at all. <laughs> One of my favorite things, kind of from the trailer, that that is probably there in the story, especially because I think all Targaryens have it, is the dragon dreams, right? Because the first big thing we open on post that little daemon blip and the laner blip is Viserys saying the dream it was clearer than a memory and we get him in front of the flames i love that comparison of of dreams and memories because they're they're trying to project themselves into this future that they can potentially create that would be clearer than anything from the past and it's but those dreams end up not being fulfilled or not being fulfilled in the way that they want and they just want to be able to make them real and there's a it's that ties into the politics because of Varus's great riddle of the shadow on a wall and the idea that power isn't something you can actually lay your hands on it's something you make up and you agree and you get other people to make it up with you and the dragon dreams are kind of like a, a mystical example of that but I think it's 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 wonderful that they're tying the dragon dreams into this I wonder if that might be the opening of the show as a dragon dream of Viserys's yeah they did say, you know, we're getting at the very front of this show, we're going to get that Great Council 101. Uh, we'll see Jaharis. We've seen kind of a promo picture with the Great Conciliator. Emma Aaron is in it. 
I think we might get a little more Emma Aaron in this first episode, and I think she might be involved with this kind of prophetic dream sequence. And the dream sequence goes on, and Viserys is giving us a voiceover throughout, and he says that he heard the sound of thundering hooves. The thunder of her hooves. <laughs> and it looks kind of like it's Rhaenyra, maybe, on horseback with someone. I think it could be Kristen Cole. His, he look, Whoever it is does look like it's a, a male presenting figure with maybe some armor, white armor. So it could be Kristen Cole. And he says, splintering shields, ringing swords, which is overlaid with Damon and Kristen Cole beating the shit out of each other at the tourney at Viserys' ascension. This is where, of course, Damon's shield gets smashed to smithereens by Kristen Cole. It's when you know it's a real feud, by the way. Oh, it's so good. I love the, the armor. The armor is good. The helm. There are helms in this show again. Not just the hound helm. Like, there are real helms for everyone. A little peacock feathering going on for Damon, very appropriate to his character. Very medieval, you know, very good. Uh, and we do get a scene with Kristen Cole where he is taking, you don't get to see Kristen Cole the top half, you see the bottom half, him taking his sword out of his sheath. You see, wink, wink. Wink, wink. Not that sword, damn it. Put it away. My God. My God. Tell him to put it away. <sighs> Seems you're getting excited about Kristen Cole. Is there something you'd like to admit to the crowd? Do you love Kristen Cole? You People are trying to get everyone to admit to being <laughs> Kristen Cole fans. I don't know why. I'm not, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not like invested in that way in any character in this show because they're all detached assholes. Let me just establish that right away. I hate them all. Which kind of makes it a good show. Oh, I absolutely. Mean, succession, right? Like it's like Dragon Succession. We love Dragon Succession. Surely we do. Chloe says that like she hasn't cried multiple times for Kendall Roy. I don't know who she thinks she's kidding. Okay, well, maybe because I'm more emotionally invested in humans, in stories. Humans in stories. Not in real life, just in stories. My God. <laughs> real <laughs> only, life. Only, only, only rich assholes. <laughs> only rich, fake rich assholes, first of all. I don't like the real ones. Mm, of course. <laughs> or the people that get rich off of making fake rich. You know, this is gone. Anyways. So I really like that the Kingsguard armor is in the background. I almost, like, at first when I saw it, because, you know, when you first watch the trailer, you have this overwhelming, surging layer of hype, almost, or, like, of emotion, maybe of feeling something that lays over it. So you have to watch it maybe twice. Uh, so at first I was like, I think it's Kristen Cole, and I didn't even notice the Kingsguard armor. But the Kingsguard armor in the background is great, and we actually come back to the scene later in the trailer when Rhaenyra asks Kristen Cole... You know, do you think they'll accept me as a queen? Uh, showing we're going to get some good Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra kind of information slash explanation slash confirmation. I don't know. We're going to find out what maybe happened or what Ryan Condal asked George if it was okay if he could put on a screen that happened. And that I'm interested in. I'm yes, interested in that. And Viserys goes on as we see him sit upon the throne and says he placed his heir upon the Iron Throne. Nicely ambiguous. He does not say, I placed my daughter Rhaenyra on the Iron Throne. He says, I placed my heir on the Iron Throne. Yeah, and I guess if you really look closely, there's a little blood on that throne and on Viserys' hand from where he's cutting himself on that throne. What could it mean? Mm, the throne feeds on blood. Mm-hmm. You're, you're next, Viserys. You're next. Constant blood sacrifice. And then we get the shot of a dragon over King's Landing with someone riding it in. Ugh, amazing. And he says, and all the dragons roared as one. 
And that dragon is going towards the dragon pit. There's a dragon pit. Mm, That beautiful dome looks like St. Peter's. It's connected with the next shot in King's Landing where there's actually... I mean, this is a beautiful set piece. Emmett, will you tell us of it? Because it's kind of just gorgeous. Yeah, I love bustling crowd scenes. You know, I love, you know, what I, what I love best in shows and movies is a shot I have to pause because there's like a dozen different things to look at and I can focus on what someone in the background is doing and think about what they might be motivated by as an actor. Like, oh, I have to show myself doing something and just different layers of, of, of set design, all the great decorations. So I look forward to, I mean, that's one of the, the appeals of, seeing a show about the Targaryen regime at its height is that, you know, when we get to A Song of Ice and Fire, Westeros is a shitty place to be. And very appropriately and well done so. Like, I like that Westeros is, is just basically a backwater on this planet compared to everywhere else. But it is it is nice to see the, the full flourishing of a place in all its details. And that's definitely something we're going to see is King's Landing under the Targaryens at its height when they were... I mean, what the dance is about is, I think, in large part, is about this family regime going, you know, we might be around forever. I think we got it. I think a lot of what the dance is about is about the Targaryens going, you know, guys, I think we got this. I think our regime might really last forever. It might just, this is the end of history and we're going to be in charge forever. And then about them realizing that that's not the case. And so it's, there's the, the, the great tragic irony, I think, built into this when you see a bustling King's Landing scene of knowing how this is all going to go. There's like this awesome statue and it's black it looks like it could even be obsidian it could be dragon glass maybe mm-hmm. who knows i could just be getting excited it's not that deep it ain't that deep it ain't that deep everyone and maybe it's not it could be that deep though what if it's that deep <sighs> i won't let myself love again so there's a great statue of a dragon right right in the square and there is a carriage which there were some production shots that surfaced last year where you saw uh, I want to say it was uh, Emily Carey, right? The younger Allison actress was getting out of this carriage and it seemed that Rhaenyra was greeting her, possibly. So I think the last scene where we see a dragon flying over King's Landing, it might be like Rhaenyra is racing her BFF Allison to King's Landing and maybe we're going to see them kind of greet here in King's Landing at a younger age. Um, and I don't know, it's so cool. There's like a chick with a parasol walking around, all cozy, comfy, you know, da, da, da. I'm walking down King's Landing and there's merchants everywhere. It's alive. It's alive. And of course we got a council scene. What is Game of Thrones? I mean, House of the Dragon without a council scene, right? And we have Otto Hightower saying that the succession it's pretty urgent. We also have what looks like a strange little ball thing. It's like a marble ball uh, that Viserys is toying with. And it almost looks like Corlys has one as well. I think it may be for voting purposes. The Septon's there. Looks like there may be a strong lord in presence. And uh, some other bloke in a... I don't know who this guy is, but he looks like a guy, right? Some guy in an outfit. Some kind of an outfit. And Rhaenyra, though, is there. Rhaenyra is in the background, serving as cupbearer, which is canonical, to her father and listening while he holds his counsel and learning to rule. Much like Arya at Heron Hall, that's kind of what this scene reminds me of, is Arya being in the background of those scenes. And yeah, it's essential to be present in the room because that's, you know, when you have the, 
the king as the center of political power, being in the room with the king is what matters most. And it kind of doesn't even matter what your role is. Like, you know, it's historically being the king's cupbearer or even the king's, you know, privy advisor, simply having physical proximity to the king, being present for the information, being able to advise him, slip a word in his ear, share his jests. That's that's more critical than in something like a more bureaucratic system, something we see emerging like with a character like Littlefinger, who in many ways embodies what the future of power in a world like this is going to be. When it's, you know, Littlefinger doesn't have to go around talking to everyone he influences. Littlefinger has set things up so he doesn't have to do that. Like, that's kind of the point is that Littlefinger <laughs> can leave King's Landing for multiple books and it doesn't matter. Because he has set up the incentive so that the machine keeps working without him. Don't make me come down there is Littlefinger's mantra. It keeps going without him. But this kind of more, you know, uh, uh, it's an agrarian, pre-industrialized society, heavily influenced by the individual of the king. Rhaenyra simply being present in these meetings is how you establish that she's going to be the heir. And everyone who comes into that room sees Rhaenyra there and goes, oh, she's there for a reason. Sam talks about that in the main series. He says... Mm -hmm. As soon I knew that my father was replacing me when he started having my brother present in the room for these meetings and stopped inviting me. Yeah. And listen, you know, I work in an office environment in corporate America. So I also understand this. You know, if you're in the room, even if you're not speaking in the meeting and you're in a meeting, you probably shouldn't be in. You know, like that's a good thing. You take that info, you put it in your pocket, you learn from it. And that is what. I'm so glad you brought Harrenhal up because I was thinking that it's very much like Nan in Harrenhal, like Arya with Tywin scenes uh, in Game of Thrones, where this is perfect. She and especially because this is such a saucy like topic to bring up while she's in the room, because, you know, it turns out she is the only child that Viserys has. And they're talking about, you know, who Viserys's heir is going to be. And Corlys himself is like, he has an heir. What about Damon? Damon's his heir. I fought with Damon. Damon's great. What's wrong with Damon? Smiley face. Is someone saying that something's wrong with Damon? And it's establishing Otto Hightower, right? Being kind of a, kind of an instigator. Lionel Strong at the meeting, who's there, says, who else would have a claim? And it changes into a scene. Slow-mo, handsome motherfucker, Matt Smith, on his horse, being saucy. And Otto says, the firstborn child would have a claim. And that's when Corliss says, what about Damon? At the tourney, which is huge. That tourney is beautiful and huge. So much of this surrounds Damon because the, the politics of the dance are built around basically the idea of, well, we can't let Damon be king because he's obviously a problem. So what do we do? Are we going to go with Rhaenyra? Are we going to go with Alicent's children? That's so much of the struggle here, because as charismatic as Damon is, he clearly has this problem where if you cross him, he's going to kill you <laughs> in a very, very public, violent way. And it's the same thing, like I think about, as I said, Oberyn is an obvious parallel to Damon Targaryen in many ways. And Oberyn has this line he tells Tyrion in the main series that a Septon in Dorne said that the fact that my brother Duran was born first and I was born third is a sign that the gods are good, because if they weren't, I would have been the one who was born first, and that would have been huge trouble for everyone. That's like the perfect line here, though, because that is what this is. And I, and I know Damon is like, I get it. He is another Oberyn-esque character, right? Dark Star didn't work. Let's do it again. Uh, it never works except for Oberyn. George has tried so hard. You feel for him. Oberyn, I think, was like, he's like a Han Solo character who just it just kind of happened. It was just magic. It was just a lightning in a bottle situation. And you keep trying to recreate it. Like Dario also was an yeah. attempt to recreate that magic. And it just doesn't work with anyone but Oberyn. But, you know, Damon's a strong contender. Like, I don't agree. 
as we know. <laughs> I'm not a noted Damon Targaryen hater. Um, I'm just kidding. He's fine. He's a fine character. He's just not like the one I care about, you know, when I read these books. So whatever, I'll I'll be fine with him. And to be fair, Matt Smith is him is like, it's bullshit because it's like me, noted Damon Targaryen hater. Oh, you're going to put one of my favorite actors as Damon Targaryen? <sighs> now I'm legally contractually obligated to give a shit. So I have to explore that in a little deeper manner, I guess. But Damon is like, the prototype that almost works. So many fans really like him. They think he's a badass, whether it was just Princess and the Queen, Rogue Prince, or Fire and Blood, which did expand a lot on him. I think Matt Smith's going to bring kind of, you know, both of those, like you were saying, that kind of more vulnerable Daemon Targaryen that the crowd wants, but also the violent murdering, you know, all kin slay whoever kind of attitude is kind of, I think he'll bring that psychoness too. Uh, and I think the trailer's being... Not, like, misleading, necessarily, but there is a little bit of misdirect, right? That you're really, you're watching, and if you don't already know, I think you'd think Damon and Rhaenyra are going to battle. Like, it's going to be a sexy battle between them. Yeah, absolutely. No, you don't get any sense from the trailer if you don't already know that they end up uh, as allies and more than allies. You think they're being set up as the two potential uh, paths forward. Yeah, and, I mean, we get that to the extent where we see... Rhaenyra and Laner together in the trailer and later in the teaser trailer, though they do a great job of having this anti-chemistry, I feel like, right? Like this very obvious job of like, oh, this is literally a setup and we don't want to be in this setup, but our parents say we have to in order to keep our air status. Uh, it's interesting because then it's all intercut with Damon, who again, we see Damon in Flea Bottom with the boys all over again throughout this trailer. Uh, and he looks a strong heir. I mean, he does look solid. He looks sturdy. What's the problem? Uh, do you think Corliss is being not coy, but like, you know, he's trying to instigate a little by being like, you have an heir, it's Damon. Well, Corliss knows he can gain from it, and Corliss is always looking to advance his position, and uh, Damon is someone he knows he can get in with, uh, as opposed to the High Towers, his rivals. The one thing I will say is, yes, that, but also if he is instigating, if he accidentally helps make Rhaenyra the queen, you know, in this moment, he gains a lot. He has Laner possibly lined up to marry her. Uh, it doesn't undo necessarily Rainey's being looked over, but it does kind of say, hey, you guys were right. Sorry, you were right. It turns out our ancestors before us here made poor decisions. Sure. Well, um, this is before... Rhaenyra and Damon get married, though, right? He's just no, arguing yeah. on behalf of Damon at this point. Yeah, at Stepstone's time, when Damon is really just, you know, surveying, mm -hmm. trying to get his in back in the city, besides Indeed. down in the, the, the flea bottom region, the district, the flea bottom district. It feels like, you know, there's a lot of Viserys says, like, I won't, I don't want to choose between my brother and my daughter. Tough. That's your job, man. That is your job, dude. Like, You're that's the, the one, that's the one thing you have to do. Maybe you shouldn't have been the Lord of Winterfell, Ned. I mean, maybe... Damn it. <laughs> Is he going to die in episode 9, too? Oh, you don't no. say. Yeah, he. Uh, those are the big decisions, and indecision seemed to be the big thing for Viserys. And, I mean, that was just the way his character came across, ascetic, and maybe that's just lack of POV. So it's good to kind of bring it to the forefront. Something I'm really excited about, again, is all the heraldry that's showing up, and all of the stuff, especially... Uh, the tourney stuff going on at the front for 
Viserys' ascension, and we actually get a scene where Rhaenyra is up, it looks like with Harold Westerling of the Kingsguard, standing over on the balcony area in, I'm guessing, uh, God, what, the map room? What's the map room now in the Red King? The map room pre-map. The pre-map map When it was just room. Before Cersei and Jaime fucked all over it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that was the, uh, wasn't, that was in the High Sept. The High Septon, yeah. That, the, that, was that the, wasn't even That was in the Great Sept, yeah. Yeah, this that's, is, that's an anachronism, my God. But I'm sure Jamie and Cersei fucked on that map. It might not have been on the screen. But too irresistible a metaphor. So were a lot of things not on that screen. I'm mean, okay. There were a lot of plots that didn't make it to that screen, so let me have this one. But in the pre-map map room, uh, a bunch of dudes with some flags, some banners show up, and I was kind of excited. You and I were zooming in. We were like, enhance, enhance, enhance. There's definitely a Corbray, a Malister, a Karen, um, I think a Hightower. I'm not really sure what that back one was. Let me, I think it's a... What, the Craig Hall one? No, there's definitely a Crake Hall one, but there's one all the way in the middle back that you can't really tell. It just is a flat color. Uh, but there's, is that like a Kingsguard banner, maybe? It might know. just be, it might be a flat white banner for Sir Kristen Cole here in the front. And of course, there's a Tarly banner and a Crake Hall banner. But as we get kind of a Romeo, oh Romeo shot back and forth between Kristen Cole and Rhaenyra, I'm pretty sure this is during the tourney for Viserys's you know, being kanged post uh, post the last kang, if you've ever heard of him. But it's him being kanged, crowned, coronated, his tourney. And this is where Kristen Cole swears his favor to Rhaenyra. And there's a quote from Fire and Blood. Let me pull her up. During that same fateful year, Sir Kristen Cole was appointed to the Kingsguard to fill the place created by the death of the legendary Sir Ryan Redwine. Born the son of a steward in service to Lord Dondarrion at Blackhaven, Sir Criston was a comely young knight of three and twenty years. He first came to the attention of court when he won the melee held at Maidenpool in honor of King Viserys's accession. Well, maybe it's not this one. It's probably the next tourney. What was the next tourney? 106? Is this not when Rhaenyra was named Realm's Delight? And yeah, this air? was when she had to... Oh! Rhaenyra wasn't born when Viserys was... Maybe no, was he, she was in the belly. We see her in Emma's stomach. You're right. In the final moments of the fight, Sir Criston knocked Dark Sister from Prince Damon's hand with his morning star to the delight of his grace and the fury of the prince. Afterward, he gave the seven-year-old princess Rhaenyra the victor's laurel and begged for her to wear in the joust. Now, because they're aging Rhaenyra up, I'm thinking, yes, this is, though. Yeah, sure. So I think actually this is still that tourney because they're aging her up at this. Uh, but in the list, he defeats Prince Damon, unhorses both the Cargyle twins, Sir Eric and Sir Eric, and then falls to Lord Lyman Malister. So we have a Malister. I'm pretty sure Corbray is there at this time. And we, the Tarleys are there. I mean, they're hanging out. They're all over this plot in that book. That was crazy to me, actually, that they're so prominent in this book. But this is definitely him asking for her favor. And because she's aged up, she's got to be like 15, 16 here, I guess. I don't know. 14. Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as they did with the Starks in, yeah. in Game of Thrones. Makes it sense. makes sense. But it's, it's, it's important to have the heraldry present in all these lords present because it gets at this tension of who's really in charge of Westeros, whether it's House Targaryen or the lords who have bent the knee to them. Because one of the tensions that comes out with the Dance of the Dragons is the lords of Westeros going, hey, wait a minute. 
This is this is still on us, isn't it? Which of these people are in charge? Because they maybe they need us more than we need them, and that's something the Targaryens are constantly having to deal with in the wake of the Dance of the Dragons. Is how to deal with getting the lords on your side. We see that happen with the Blackfyre Rebellion, where the lords are dropping things as much as the Targaryens, and that's why uh, Aegon Fifth, aka Egg. That's everything he's working on is like, how do I get past the lords? How do I communicate directly with the people? How do I kind of do an end run around this class here? Because I don't, I can't, I'm sick of dealing with the nobles. And that's this real tension for the Targaryens is they, they, they have set themselves up above the noble class, but they really do rely on them. Mm-hmm. It's something that you start to see with Jaehaerys too, right? When he has too many children to know what to do with and starts mm-hmm. to just marry them off left and right and realizes, well, I guess we should start marrying the normies instead of just each other only. It starts to kind of be a problem. He's like, oh, fuck, this is gonna, I should start broadening our reach here a little bit which is ha, reach. <laughs> Viserys sure broaden that reach which is politically wise but then also you're taking yourself off the pedestal and the pedestal is the whole reason you're in charge in the first place yeah it makes that's, you impure that's the that's the real difficulty for the Targaryens is the whole idea of them as being above you but how long can can you be above people before they start thinking you as completely alien to them yeah which and that's what they always were right they're these incandescent gods right upon their dragons in the skies and now they're falling very slowly now but Emmett you say something interesting of thinking of someone above you and I want to point out in this trailer the most important thing in the world as Kristen Cole is like on his knees being like baby girl Venera, will you please wear my favor will you please girl girl we wear my favor if you look in the corner of this shot there's a woman up in a kind of a windowy framed area above Rhaenyra. Next level up. Sure does look like it's Aunt Rainey's watching all of this go down and being like, mm-mm, that's how those boys get you. That's not even Rhaenys. That's just Eve Best. That's, that's just Eve, Eve Best herself getting drunk and, and, and making that's and roasting the entire situation. Roasting not in the traditional Targaryen sense, but in the comedic sense. If you haven't watched Nurse Jackie, what are you doing, right? Because she is so funny in Nurse Jackie. She is like the best character and she's always just so sly and kind of like sarcastic and cutting. And it's kind of great that Rainey's is already doing that in the trailers. Like, good. good Which for is her. good because one of the problems this story could potentially run into is being too stiff mm-hmm. and self serious and somber and not having funny characters. And I think Eve Best will have a, a, a kind of wry, sardonic attitude because a character like Otto Hightower or Kristen Cole. Are, are, are just very they just take themselves very seriously and you know it's you, you, there's no kind of you need a kind of mm-hmm. kind of a loose-limbed character you'd want to hang out with and i think rainis is more in that direction yeah rainis and corliss both are kind of like they seem like they will have they seem like they're gonna have some of the lighter moments of of the whole thing right like but also some of the worst moments like the most terrible moments of their children dying and their grandchildren in danger and Rhaenyra, you know, threatening their family and lives and livelihood. And then, of course, dying for her war, you know, the whole Rainey's dying thing. That's going to be a bummer. So <laughs> it's like it's kind of the best extremes of characters because you're going to have kind of the comedy gold. You're going to have uh, the best kind of backstories, the best love. They both have talked in interviews already. Both the actors, Steve Toussaint and her, have talked about you know, like how they just have the best love story and the best characters and relationship. And I bet their chemistry and I bet everything about it. I think it's going to be such a great arc. You got to have the 
All the extremes of happiness, sadness, love, drama, comedy. I kind of forget a little bit about the very beginning events, right, of the dance, uh, like Harrenhal and Missaria. Um, so much stuff happens that the white worm, speaking of worms, uh, the white worm and Damon, I almost forget about all their plot. And I think there's a lot of potential to kind of not, not make up stuff per se, but adapt and expand some of the stuff that was happening at the time and give Missaria maybe more of a role because uh, she sticks around for a while. And we do get more shots of Rainey's and Corliss in the trailer. Uh, we have Rainey's warning him. Rhaenyra's claim is going to be, you know, questioned. You know, like mine was and then overruled completely. No one gave it a second or third or eighth thought. <laughs> uh, and then we get Damon returning in, in semi-glory from the Stepstones. Where he managed to claim his own kingdom. But, uh, you know, it withers when he returns home and has to put that into context with Westerosi power. Something that I think, you know, Euron had in mind when he, he returned home and made sure his brother was dead and he can immediately take charge, didn't have to deal with this kind of situation. Probably probably read his histories and learned from Daemon Targaryen's example. I hope in the histories they talk about the crown Daemon's wearing in this scene, though, because it is straight up a driftwood crown. Like, it is Euron. 2.0 like i feel like this is season eight season seven i'm watching euron walk into the throne room he's getting a sword thrust into his chest uh he has this like driftwood crown that he made from the stepstones on and i'm wondering if there's going to be kind of a adaptation change you know of him offering his crown to his brother it's kind of a greater insult that his crown kind of looks like this instead of the burnished nice gold that uh jaharis's crown I, I do like in the books that Euron immediately mocks the Driftwood crown, and as soon as he wins the Kingsman, he's like, yeah, throws it into the sea. I got my shark tooth crown that I picked up overseas. This is much cooler. I hope Damon has that. I hope he's got, like, some sick crown in his back pocket. Like, here you go, bro. Got you this. <laughs> throws it like a frisbee, like he's disc golfing. Exactly. <laughs> it's the forehand with the two fingers. Oh, Damon would so disc golf. He'd probably be obnoxiously good at it, too. <sighs> yeah. It's all he tweets about. There are some really gorgeous shots of Alicent, both young and old. Uh, she kind of looks like Michelle Fairley in this trailer in a couple of moments, which I think is interesting. I wonder if it's intentional because, you know, <sighs> I've been... Probably not, you're right. But all the main shots of her that we get that are just her have these great bathed in lights quality. And maybe this is our friend Maddie who was on recently on the podcast. Maybe it's because of her. Uh, but I do see her as more of a a Catalan character in some aspects, right? A lot of people, including the actresses themselves, are kind of comparing Alicent to Cersei, which I can see in some ways. Uh, but I see a lot of Catalan in her and protecting her family and going with the flow and then being told, oh, thanks for doing what you were told you were supposed to do, but you still don't win. Mm -hmm. Congrats. Uh, following the rules, right? The hierarchy. So I see a little bit of that. So that's an interesting thought. And we get kind of a great shot of her that goes from young her into older her, right? First with real light and then by the fire. And then we have Rhaenyra in the background voiceover to Viserys saying, your duty, you know, you must take a new wife, father, as Alicent and Viserys hold hands. That's, well, and now they're aged up, right? So now they're aged up, it makes it so, I guess, what, Rhaenyra was alive when Jaehaerys died then? No. If they're the same age, then yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, Allison was a teenager. There. Allison was chilling, straight chilling with him. So I guess that works out in some aspects to kind of uh, 
I guess, align the ages. That's interesting. There's a great scene where Viserys is sitting on the throne and says to Damon, you know, I've decided on my heir. Damon's like, yo, wait, what the fuck? I'm your heir. What do you mean I've decided on an heir? And Damon has Legolas hair here, so that's how you know it's the beginning of the season. Yup, Legolas hair. Uh, and we flash back to, God, Harrenhal. It is, it looks good. It's it's going to be great As to see Harrenhal. proper, big and overgrown. Ghastly. Empty. Going to be burnt down. Can't wait. Can't wait to watch that shit. I'm excited to see some of the tension between Damon and Otto, too. That's really good, because Otto really cannot stand the guy. Really cannot. For good reason. It's the one sympathetic aspect of Otto Hightower. Again, that's what I sympathize with Otto and the green side about, and with Viserys about, is that it's, it's really hard to solve the problem of Damon other than just <laughs> killing him. Because you really, you can't, he's, like, you know, as you said, as people have said, yes, he's charming and charismatic, that's the problem. The yeah. problem is that he can get people on his side and then use them to do horrible things. And it's that he's, he's like, you know, that's, I love Oberyn's self-awareness that I'm, I'm the guy who really should not be in charge of things because I'm a disaster. And that's, that's Damon too. He's just a hot mess. He should not be in command. Uh, that's why I love the whole, like, you know, that Viserys basically puts him in charge of the city watch to give him, to get him out of the way. And then Damon's like, private army, yay. <laughs> I'm going to go around shaking people. I'm going to be the mob of King's Landing. I'm going to be a mafia leader. It's just like, you can't. You can't have this guy. Exile him, murder him, send him to the Citadel, chop off his dick and send him to the wall. Like, you can't, you can't have Damon. If, if Damon had ended up the king, the Targaryen regime would have burnt down long before Aegon IV or the Mad King got there. He's just, he's just a problem. And so, so much of the story of the dance is built around the everyone kind of realizing that and not knowing what to do about it. You know, I mean, listen, redemption, sure. But at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day... Uh, there's even, it's not like shy in Fire and Blood, right? There's this great passage. Though the king did not wish Damon to succeed him, he remained fond of his younger brother and was quick to forgive his many offenses. Princess Rhaenyra was also enamored of her uncle, for Damon was ever attentive to her. Whenever he crossed the narrow sea on his dragon, he brought her some exotic gift, like a necklace, on his return. The king had grown soft and plump over the years. Viserys never claimed another dragon after Balerion's death, nor did he have much taste for the joust, hunt, swordplay, where Prince Daemon excelled in all these spheres, and seemed all that his brother was not. Lean and hard, a renowned warrior, dashing, daring, more than a little dangerous. <sighs> He's a good recipe. I mean, give him that widow's peak, you know, for Ariane and... Oberyn to fuck in her dreams. I mean, sorry, Rhaenyra and Damon to fuck in her dreams. Well, that's the contradiction: is is the kind of the kind of person you like for those reasons is not the person you want in charge of making decisions. Yeah, yeah. That 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 Byronic model is just is no good for actual power. We see that over and over again in the main series too. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just no good. We get a great shot of Rhaenyra's uh, air coronation. What's that called? Is there a name for that? Is there a name? Air coronation. The thumbs-upping of an heir. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Society voted, and they said yes. Uh, that's No, I'm sorry. They actually didn't. That's the whole show. <laughs> Society actually didn't say yes. Uh, all the while, we watch Rhaenyra being, you know, thumbs-upped by these dudes. Rainey's is saying, uh, a little expansion from the last teaser trailer, where she's saying, a woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. That is not the order of things. 
uh, or that is the order of things, sorry, because a woman cannot. And Rhaenyra says, when I am queen, I will create a new order because Rhaenyra is not trying to, what is it, bend the wheel, break the wheel, whatever she's doing with the wheel. Rhaenyra's not doing that. She's here to break the wheel. She's going to burn it down. The femme Stannis energy is strong with this one. Yes, yes. But thankfully, it goes to a dragon, which it looks like Cyrax. It looks like it's possibly Rhaenyra on Cyrax uh, with the saddle. So exciting. And then we get moved to the Stepstones, where we get a voiceover from Regio Haratis, which must be someone in the Stepstones saying, your family has dragons. We get a little shot of the dragon eggs being served for dim sum. <laughs> I love hot pot with you, babe. Exactly. <laughs> And I love Viserys admitting, yeah, the dragons are a power we never should have trifled with because they make us bigger than ourselves and we're bad enough on our own. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think the Targaryens are categorically worse than any other royal family. Mm -hmm. They just have dragons. If you gave the Starks dragons, disaster. If you give the Baratheons dragons, disaster. No one should have them. They're just too much. We're We're just too... We're too weak, and we're too easily led in the wrong direction, and we're too flawed to have this much power. Yeah. And, again, humanity does win in some ways. Not all. And loses in a lot of ways throughout this. But, like, that humanity is a good thing to keep, and your soul is a good thing to keep. And maybe murdering everyone and burning down the countryside is not the way to do things does ring true in some ways. Even even Damon got it this time. My god. And... I'm so excited for the dragons. I'm not like, okay, you know I'm not a dog person. You know this about me. Uh, I like dogs. It's just I'm a cat person because they are, you know, small and they don't move as much. Like sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't for like eight hours in a row and that's what I'm into. But these dragons, which are much more like dogs in my opinion than cats. Dragons are more like dogs than cats, I think. Um, The general jowls and the the scaliness and the... Uh, they're cute as fuck. Like, the scenes of Damon with uh, Caraxes and, like, just petting him and booping his snoot, that's gonna be heartwarming shit. And it better be for how much the CGI will cost, but it's gonna be some heartwarming, expensive shit. Yeah, and I love, you know, the, that connection with them because it's, the, again, the contradiction of the dragons is that they're, they're sources of power, but also just animals. And they're, again, they're, they're, they make a great comparison to human rulers in that way. Is that you, you know, give a human a crown and a throne and suddenly they start thinking they're something more than a flawed creature. But they always are. Yeah. Some great shots of the dragon pit in general or of the areas of the dragon pit where the dragons are being held. And, of course, the amazing shot of Vagar, big chicka with the huge fucking talons and Aemond looking up in like, Holy shit, shock at Vagar. That is a great shot. That is scary. That little motherfucker is going to climb that dragon. That's a brave kid. I don't know that I could have done that looking at how big that thing is. That's scary. I wouldn't have gone near it. I mean, there's a reason I I, uh, named myself after Quentin. No thanks. Yeah. Dog. We're not meant for it. Locust. Um, Scary. Mm Mm-hmm. We get another shot of, that's kind of an interesting cut, right? You get that next shot, and it's Matt Smith all over again, I think. Damon all over again with the cave and the dragon. Trying for a comparison there, yeah. Yeah. Something that I know we were kind of talking about is there's a shot of Alicent and Rhaenyra in front of the throne, and there's a voiceover from Alicent mm-hmm. at the time talking about if Rhaenyra comes into power, she'll, you know, shut down any challenge to succession. 
that if Rhaenyra comes into power, she'll shut down any chance to challenge her succession uh, violently, I think is being implied. But before we see a shot of maybe who Alicent is talking to, I got to talk about Alicent's outfit. Alicent's outfit, it's very Cersei season six, season seven, right? With the the faith outfits. Yeah, it's got this collar, this high collar and these shoulder pieces. And it's also kind of, you know, similar to Tywin's garb almost, but in dress form and similar to a lot of the Targaryen garb also from uh, the modern Game of Thrones series. I was going to call it the A-Swap series. The modern Game of Thrones series. And Rhaenyra seems to be wearing one of her beautiful black dresses. It's very severe with some shoulder stuff going on. But uh-huh. Alicent is wearing a chain on her dress. It's called a Chatelaine. And it is really interesting. It was used basically uh, as almost these chains that you could attach things to. So even back in like Rome, ancient Roman ladies would wear them with ear scoops, nail cleaners, tweezers attached to them, everyday life things they needed to utilize. And they've been found in graves of women from the 7th and 8th century in the UK with artifacts like wire rings, beads, knuckles, knives, watch out for that cat spa dagger, uh, and tools. <laughs> and they were worn by housekeepers, right? Which, again, thinking of like Catalan, for example, who was told you need to keep a man's house raises babies, you know, put them out, raise the babies, get them married to a good family, and keep it moving. Uh, she was very much in charge. The first episode of Game of Thrones, you see her, you know, charge around Winterfell, getting things ready for Robert to arrive and kind of c- commanding what's going on in the household. So I do think there's a little bit of that for Allison here. Like, that is part of what she's trying to do is keep Viserys's house neat, but also Viserys's heir is Rhaenyra. So that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that has conflict. But they're in front of the throne looking out with a confused, upset face on. And even just from, you know, it's the older versions of their characters. So I'm just trying to figure out where this would be if this is, where would this be in the timeline? What's going on? I'm honestly not sure. I'm very, I'll be very curious to see what the reverse shot of this is of who's walking into the throne room. Yeah, especially because of the blocking, right? Alicent is in front of the throne, like directly in front of the throne. Almost, I mean, metaphorically speaking, just from looking at, you know, blocking Rhaenyra's mm, passage. But now call. they're looking at something else, right? Rhaenyra is lower They've than her. They've been interrupted in, in an argument. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And whatever it is, Rhaenyra doesn't look as surprised, but Alicent looks like befuddled, surprised, worried. Which makes me think Damon. Yeah. Yeah. Rhaenyra does have kind of a face on that they look like they got the, the mouth open, you know, the like, oh, maybe there's a little sexy vibe. Who knows? But Alicent, no sexy. There's no sexy on this face in this moment. I mean, she's sexy. She's very beautiful. Beautiful. And of course, we actually get Alicent saying she can cut off any challenge to her succession to someone with some you know, mid-length, blonde, curlyish-looking, wavyish-looking hair. Possibly Aegon. I think this might be our second shot, because we've seen kind of a shot of Aegon in some of the teaser videos that have come out this week. Uh, young Aegon, I should say, at the time, though. So this might be a little older Aegon, maybe? This might be her saying, hey, bitch, you have to take the throne. <laughs> We're gonna die. Which I, I, I love in the text that he is not interested at all in it at first. And has to be coerced. Aegon the second, not 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 super interested. Yeah, I love that. You know, 
we look at the influences on Rhaenyra, right? The grooming surrounding her, the different people that are, you know, using her claim, exploiting it in different ways and not just for good, uh, which we see a lot in the main series as well. And it's kind of interesting that they both are coerced in some ways or influenced in these ways to take this. And at the end, it's nothing that the others wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Uh, the gold cloaks are going to be such a big part of season one. I'm really liking the actual gold cloak. It's got a really cool like interlocking chain almost pattern on it. Uh, really nice fabrics. The fabrics they're using, we have some friends of the podcast that do not believe in Michelle Clapton from Game of Thrones' costuming skills. Now, I am partial to some of her stuff. Not all. However, I'm not, maybe I'm not as far as to call her the war criminal, quote-unquote, that sometimes gets passed around about her costuming. The later seasons were devoid of fun and color. But these fabrics are nice. I mean, these textiles are, Uh like, they're heavy. You can see they look nice. There's color. Uh, The bannermen of other, you know, houses here that we're seeing have color. The the scene at the tournament with Rhaenyra there, uh, accepting the favor of Kristen Cole, all of those guys that showed up for their houses to represent them, they're like wearing their house colors. And it's not in an obnoxious, cartoony, superhero, Marvel way. It's like in a, they're wearing it like in a, it, it blends well, it looks nice, but it also shows like their house. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's oh, what I wanted. Hell yeah. Uh, that is what I wanted. We have a great shot of Rhaenyra looking at the the crown, the crown, Jaehaerys' crown, which does have all of the sigils of the Seven Kingdoms on it, much like Rhaenyra's air coronation outfit. So kind of a Six, nice touch. Seven, Six, seven, depending. Well, you know. Depending on whether Dorne counts. We just like to wink and say Dorne. It's got an asterisk next to it. It's ours technically once they give it up to us. You know, once they give up. <laughs> once they see the light, so to speak. Oh, they'll see the light someday. Just wait for Darren. <laughs> Uh, she's saying she will inherit the Iron Throne, and then it flashes to Rhaenyra, speaking to Daemon, saying that she will block my way, and that she, of course, flashes over to Alicent, looking distraught, looking dismayed, looking beautiful. We like her. And then we get Kristen Cole training Aemond. Um, And you could actually see, I think this is Harwin Strong in the background. That is the outfit that the Strongs wear. That's a good call. I didn't notice that. Good catch. Yeah. Um, looking at some of these background people, I think Harwin Strong is in the background with his little stripies on, and Aemond is getting trained with his eye patch. So it is post Dragon Pit. He's got Vagar. Now he's getting the muscles and the skills from Kristen. Uh oh. Uh oh. You know, they call him Kangmaker, but I'm like one eye boss maker, apparently. Jesus. Oof. Oof, wild training, breaks the shield, really great. And we actually cut back to a younger Rhaenyra and Alicent praying over some candles. And Otto Hightower says, our hearts remain as one, while Alicent responds, our hearts were never one. And we take that cute, close, adorable friendship babysitter's club photograph of those two girls, and we move to the adults, the photo, the black and the greens photo. And they're literally farther apart. You go shot to shot of them being close together with the praying when they were younger, and then there's a big yawning uh, space between them in the next shot, just to show how they've literally grown further apart. It's gorgeous. It is, like, perfect, especially the use of candles. I'm really appreciating the use of candles in all of this because I feel like it was underutilized in Game of Thrones. Like, every shot in these trailers and these kind of 
quarters, right? Closed quarters or more confined quarters or halls. There is like just a huge amount of candles lit. Uh, the scene where they're praying, I think they must be in a sept and they are actually praying. So the candles make a lot of sense. But even here, there's far fewer candles lighting them now in between them than there was in the back scene. So it's just this great contrast of what's happened. So you can really feel the emotional breakdown. And it's the dress and the dress. I mean, it's the black dress, the green dress. Mm-hmm. The dress is... Okay, we gotta talk about Corlys's helm. We talked about how there's cool helms. Corlys's helm rocks with the seahorse on it and yeah that looks great and the scales almost there's like some metallic scales there's armor um again this is costuming like greatness there is actual armor and helms based off of the sigils and based off of the houses and the battle scene in general is insane there are just people everywhere there's so many extras for the stepstones feels real some gorgeous lighting in some of these shots, uh, what I assume is the, the Great Sept. Yeah. Before Bay, the first Sept. And we have a voiceover where Rainey's, this was surprising to me, Rainey's is speaking to Allison. And we get a shot of it, and Allison looks so upset. And Rainey says, Have you ever imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? And she gives her this look, this sad look, like, Of course, but I could never have it. Ever. I mean, who hasn't? My god. Everyone's imagined themselves there. Jamie Lannister. Hot pie. Mushroom. <laughs> uh, I didn't really expect a Rainey's allison interaction. That's going to be an interesting... I, I want the context there. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing she's kind of saying, you know, can you just take it easy on Rhaenyra for a little bit, man? Can you lay off? <laughs> the girl's had a troubled life. <laughs> We return to Hall with a great shot of a dragon again flying up into the sky, and then we actually get a cut to a shot where a horse is coming down, and this horse has a figure on it, and the figure is obscured by a Baratheon sigil shield. So if this is from a tourney from the front of the season, does this really make us think we're going back to Storm's End by the season's end? I think that's a great idea that that might be the climax of the season. I think that would be very powerful. That is one of the more dramatic and intense parts of the dance story. That that clash over Storm's End. I mean, even like the final shot just being Luke. Oh god. The final shot being a strong boy crumpled dead on the ground showing the war has really fucking started. Like that's you don't kill one of the strong boys. Those are my sons. Mm-hmm. Uh they do though. They like die all the time. That's their whole thing in the books. <laughs> the that that really does make it serious, I think. And it, it's, I mean, we obviously are going to get some great scenes at the Stepstones with the dragons, but I think that's a set piece you want to utilize, right? Like having the chance to do a huge dragon battle as your finale of your first season of the GOT spinoff. Yeah, that that is smart. I mean, end it big. Go big or go home. You're adapting George R. R. Martin. We have a shot of a dragon at the Stepstones that initially I thought might just be Damon on him, uh, but this doesn't look like Caraxes. There aren't any fins on the back legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at him, I think it might be Sea Smoke, and I did hear something about Laner's actor being there on set in the Stepstones. So I think uh, we're going to get a little adaptation with some Sea Smoke involvement. Again, like we said, Laner should have something to do before he gets killed. 
Uh, thanks, Damon and Carl. So that'll be cool to see, I mean, see smoke this early. That's exciting. Not waiting for the second claimant. There's a scene that, I don't know, you and I have been discussing it, and especially with the dragon dreams, it doesn't mm-hmm. look like Rhaenyra. It is at a funeral pyre, definitely maybe a funeral pyre or just a huge fire. And I think it might be Viserys. I don't think it's Damon. I think you're right about that. It's hard to judge from the back, but I think you're right. The woman that's with him doesn't really resemble Rhaenyra. Uh, and it could be Alicent. I was thinking maybe it's him and Alicent. However, honestly, it doesn't have Matt Smith's build. I think from the front, it might be the Dragon Dream speech. It could even be Emma Aaron, depending on... I think that's a good bet. Yeah. I think that's a very good bet. The Him, first wife. I mean, he's talking about his heir, right, in, in the overture at the front mm-hmm. there, and about his, what he saw and his heir. So maybe his dragon dream happened with his first wife. And of course, the cat spa scene, we get Alicent with the knife, which cuts straight to Amond with an eye patch on. Uh, so there's a little misdirect as well. You're like, why does she have a knife? What's she doing with the knife? Oh, God, what happened to Eamon? Is it because yeah. of the knife? Yeah, ooh, that's a really good call. That's an interesting cut. And uh, yeah, Eamon, he, he looks he looks a lot like Matt Smith in these scenes for a second. I was like, wait a minute, why is Damon? Oh, right, that's not him. It's just the names, Emmett, it's that are mirrors. The, the switch around, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Isn't that clever? Do you see what I did there? That Damon and Eamon fight over the god's eye? <laughs> or is it the dog's eye? Who's to say? <laughs> um, Alicent Hightower with a knife in her hand trying to get at Rhaenyra. This is girls, 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 girls. Settle down, settle down. This is getting a little sexy and angry for my tastes, I say. Ready to watch another Irma Vep tonight with you. Uh, <laughs> Alicent Hightower says, where is duty? Where is sacrifice? And as she's saying, where is duty, where is sacrifice? We get a cut of Damon with a necklace in his hand, mm-hmm. giving it to Rhaenyra, snapping it away from her. That's a metaphor, right? And then a shot of Rhaenyra's dress and Damon with her naked shoulders, his face near them. What could they be doing? This seems inappropriate. As she says, where is sacrifice? And then a shot of Caraxes. Caraxes with the big boop snoot and back to Alicent with her knife at Rhaenyra's face. And Rhaenyra says, as we get the overshot of everyone fighting and everyone being like, no, stop stabbing each other. Rhaenyra says, now they see you as you are. So it's all happening in public and they're all playing for the Lord's appeal. Like I was saying earlier, this is a, all the world is a stage for them. And they have to, they have to appeal to people who can see them as a, as a potential ruler and not as someone who's going to lose control. Yeah. And that's seeing Alicent protect, you know, immediately her first reaction is, I'm going to go kill that bitch. <laughs> I never thought I'd understand, but now I'm like, damn, okay, Allison, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know, am I becoming a green? This is really bad. What's going to happen during this show? Is this household going to be divided? I don't know. Who, but, you and me? Yeah, what's going to happen? Well, I mean, I don't, don't care about any of them. Yeah, exactly, so that's going to be hard to So divide. this household's going to be divided between me. <laughs> divided between the person and who's... And me. Exactly. <laughs> me and the other me. Me eating popcorn. It's going to be great when they die. Me wearing a green shirt. Oh, I'm just going to take green and black shirts and cut them down the middle, sew them all together, and just like wear them every Sunday. 
I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, that's what, you know, in the main series, the equivalent is Stannis versus Renly, where you're supposed to watch them go and both, maybe neither of you. That's why Catelyn's perspective is great on Stannis and Renly, when she just goes, you, my children are more mature than you guys. And same deal here, except there's no Catelyn. The Catelyn is just us in this scenario. Yeah. I'm really excited about some of this tension they're bringing for Alicent and Rhaenyra there. I think the aging up helps. It does make I it totally agree. less not like power imbalance but like you know i mean allison was kind of just like the older girl that used to read to her grandpa she doesn't know you know yeah i think having them on an even playing field actually makes more sense especially because Aegon the second purposefully is kind of a Mm non-entity like it's even though he's the one they're putting forward it's not really about him and he's not really super invested or involved so if you're going to make Allison the dramatic center of the greens which you should you kind of want to have a sense that her and Rhaenyra are on an even keel and a generational divide between them might make that harder to pull off like Allison would just seem like the evil stepmom which I Mm -hmm. think I think lessens the drama so I think it's I think it's a good call yeah and I love it because so far it seems that Allison's like, but the rules. And Rhaenyra's like, I have a dragon. There are no rules. Like, it doesn't matter because I have a dragon. Like, laws, I will burn them down. I will just burn the laws down. Like, it doesn't matter. And Allison's like, well, I wasn't just born with the power to hold an egg in my arm and birth it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, gods and men. It, it, it's going to be an interesting show. And I'm really glad that they're already describing it as Shakespearean because it should be. Right, the, to play the drama up, you want it to be. You want that drama to be heightened and the tensions heightened. And I felt the tension. I felt the drama. I look forward to fire and blood. <laughs> oh, fire and blood? Glory. You mean the um the books that they are writing about the show? Yes, yes. The, the, the adapted from the award-winning show. It's a, <laughs> amazing the time travel they can pull off with this. <sighs> HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. I meant... Thank you so much for swinging by the studio, the Girls Gone Canon studio, which is our table uh, that you, my housemate that I know from a place, knows of. But thank you so much. I want you to talk about some of the exciting stuff going on at Nauticast, because while there are many adaptations we can talk about, you have been talking about some of the greats, like Star Wars. A Star Wars. That's true. So I've been talking, since I've been on my own recently as a host on the Nauticast, I've been doing episodes on Star Wars for patrons that you can find over at patreon.com slash Nauticast, A-S-O-I-A-F. I've also been doing episodes on Lord of the Rings, but I'm going to be jumping back into A Song of Ice and Fire with my new co-host, Manu. We're going to be starting that up in mid-August. So you can check us out at Podbean, at Spotify, at Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Just check out Nauticast, A-S-O-I-A-F. You can follow us at Nauticast, A-S-O-I-A-F on Twitter. And you can follow me at Poor Quentin on Twitter. Yes. I'm so excited for you and Manu to jump into it. When are you guys going to be doing Hot D episodes? Are you doing Hot D episodes? Is the D coming? Are you unleashing the D together? That's kind of soon. Always, always, yeah. We're going to be doing weekly episodes and we're going to be releasing them every Tuesday. So probably recording them on the Monday after each episode and then putting them out on Tuesday. Um, Probably very chill, very casual, less kind of structurally rigid. I like setting up my, my beautiful meticulous, flawless uh, episodes for A Song of Ice and Fire proper. For Hot D, we're just going to be winging it. And I think that'll be, it'll, it'll just basically be episodes of Hot Ones, the the, the wing show. Yes, the wing YouTube. show. It's just going to be that. You guys should just eat spicy food and talk. Maybe I'll do that. Don't take that. Um. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Uh, well, I can't wait to listen to those episodes. 
Uh, I have had a pleasure having you here again at the studio. You know, our executive producers are behind us waving their little paws. So thanks again, and we will link below every place you can find Emmett and Manu. Don't forget Manu, friend, Manu host, Manu. And of course, you know where to find us, Girls Gone Canon. You're listening to us right now. If you have not subscribed, please subscribe at a podcast platform near you. And if you have the time, leave a review. Eliana, as we know, is off in distant foreign lands doing the Lord's work. You know, she's at the Stepstones. She's conquering. She beat me to that by <laughs> half a second. The words were forming in my brain, and then she said it, which happens all the time. Uh, Eliana is fighting the triarchy, and, you know, they just really have to be stopped. So she's out there. She's conquering with fire. Let's all imagine blood. Eliana in that Matt Smith helmet for a second, shall we? <laughs> Yeah, that was my reaction, too. That was the best gift I could have been given. Eliana, we'll be back. We'll be back. Hey, we will be back next month. There are two final House of the Dragon Unleash the D Primer episodes coming your way. Uh, I haven't solidified one of the guests. They are trying. We're trying to make our schedules line up, but it's a good one. It's a cool one. And the other guest, it's a big surprise. You are not going to see it coming, and I cannot wait to bring that one to you. So stay tuned. We will have a couple episodes out in the next couple weeks, and Eliana will be back. Second week of August, we should return with Brotherhood Without Manners, our prologue episode for Pate. Get back on the road, which I know Emmett is ready to get back to Acewath too. Yes, my one true love, and I'm so happy to, that you're going to get back to the prologues and everything after that, because I've been really looking forward to, to hearing you on, on Pate and on Veramir's prologue. It's going to be great. And everything after. Everything after. Hey, stay cool, stay good. We'll talk to you folks later, and thanks for listening to Girl Plus Semi-Girl Gone Canon. It's like honorary. You could be like an honorary... Until she comes back. You know, until she comes back from the Stepstones. I identify as a semi-girl. Interesting. A semi-girl god canon. I'm sorry. Goodbye.